Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you speak to us through your word. We give you thanks that in speaking to us today, in our hectic, crazy lives, uh, you speak a word of comfort, a word of peace, a word of empathy. Your son Jesus came uh, into this crazy, busy world, and he lived a life which, as we will see as we, as we, uh, as we explore the Gospels, uh, we will see was jam-packed. We pray that we would look at his life and see not only uh, his example, but also be able to come to him, to hear the invitation that he gives to us uh, to come to him for rest. So we pray, Father, that in our hecticness, you would calm our hearts and our minds now. Help us to hear your word. Help us to be challenged but comforted uh, and, to keep, uh, and to be challenged to keep living for you. And we pray this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. How are you? Yeah, okay. It's been a pretty full-on few weeks. How are you? Tired. It's been hectic. How are you? Busy. It feels like the most common answer we hear from each other. We are busy. And it's not just you. It's not just Christians. It's everyone around us. You don't need to be a follower of Jesus to feel like you're dragging yourself out of bed each morning, especially now that it's cold, hoping against hope that you'll simply make it through the rush of the day, feeling like maybe, just maybe, you can keep the house in simply a mild state of chaos. Uh, Not total chaos, just mild chaos. Maybe you can get through your to-do list. Maybe your inbox won't get fuller. Maybe you won't fall asleep after lunch. Maybe, just maybe, you'll survive these waking moments to be able to fall asleep again and get up the next morning and start this all over again. One of my theological heroes is a guy by the name of John Calvin. He lived in the 1500s. No electricity, uh, no running water, no plumbing that I know of. Uh, He lived in in a much more simpler age, but he died at the age of 54, partly due to exhaustion and overwork and busyness. So you can be busy in any century, but it seems more widespread than ever before. More people across all ages complain and feel the burden of being busy. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, in his book Crazy Busy, makes two insightful points as to why we feel so busy. First, we have more opportunities in life today than ever before in human history. Yeah, even to, when we think about the experience of our childhood and the experience of our children today, there are more opportunities for our kids, uh, more opportunities for travel, for work, for education, uh, more opportunities for extracurricular activities. And see, the thing is, when we have more opportunities, we opt for more. Because we can do so much, we do do so much. The other reason why life is so busy is because life is just so much more complex than ever before. In many cases, it's mind-bogglingly complex. The amount of information that I hear from the teens about the stuff that they learn in school, either I have compl- I've forgotten 98% of what I learned in high school or the material that they cover now is just so much more than what I covered when I was in high school. 
And then when you graduate, you've got, the, you've got to now navigate not only un- subjects at uni, but also the fee help forms and maybe part-time work, and maybe you're living on your own, and you've also got to work out your living arrangements, your rent, your groceries, cooking for yourself, insurance, transport, phone and internet to set up. And when you start working, you've got to work out your responsibilities at work. You've got to work out how much can I work and save up for my superannuation, mortgages to pay, houses to buy, and what area to buy in. Adulting is big, it's hard, and it's expensive. And you can't quit and go back to just being a child. No wonder we are busy and feel busy. Now, some people here do need to hear the message that they need to get off their backsides and kick into gear to be more productive and make more use with their time. Uh, There are some here who struggle with laziness and slothfulness, but that's a message for another day. I also know of some people here today who are wrestling with massive loads in their workplace, studies and life in general. Perhaps for reasons outside of your control, life at work and home is just packed, especially if you have young children. And I know this. If you have young children, there is just not a moment's rest. A holiday is not a holiday. It is a work, it's a business trip, all right? Uh, One of my best friends in Sydney recently posted this on Facebook. How my time is spent in a week. A third is spent on sermon preparation. A third is spent in meetings and admin. And the last third is spent getting my kids into the car. (laughs) I totally get that. So please, please don't hear this message today as an extra burden on you. That kind of busyness is also a message for another day. I think for most of us, however, the danger is actually self-inflicted, sinful busyness. Being occupied with many things is not what we are talking about today. Today's focus will be on the temptation of sinful busyness. Now, when I say sinfully busy... I'm referring to a few reasons why we end up busy. We might be busy because we are people pleasers. The approval or even fear of disapproval drives us. And so people pleasing drives us to say yes to more than we can handle because we don't want to disappoint. Mixed with this is the possibility and desire for praise. This goes beyond just pleasing people and uh, to seeking praise from them, wanting the attention and the adulation and the pats on the back. It is, in essence, to glorify yourself. And if it's not seeking praise, it may be an unhelpful ambition to prove yourself. Ambition is not a bad thing in of itself, but some of us never rest because we are trying to prove ourselves right or, or other people wrong. Maybe we're trying to prove ourselves to a high school coach who said something mean to us when we were younger. Maybe we're trying to prove ourselves to our parents. Maybe we're trying to prove ourselves in front of our work colleagues. Maybe we've packed our lives because we've begun to think that we are irreplaceable. We begin to assume that if I don't do this, no one will. Everything depends on me. And while we're all unique and your gifts may be important, Maybe we pack too much into life because of this. Now, in some respects, all of these things could be good things. I mean, you may not be a people pleaser. You might actually just be serving people and putting others first. 
It's a good thing to give praise and encourage people. Just because someone receives praise doesn't mean they are seeking to glorify themselves. I guess the key question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Am I trying to do good or am I trying to make myself look good? Am I trying to do good or am I trying to make myself look good? See, whatever your motivation for being busy, the outcome is generally the same. Because there's so much on your plate, you feel overloaded, burdened. Anxiety fills your heart because you know there are too many things to do and so little time to do it. You might begin to resent certain tasks and obligations. Certain, uh, stress creeps in and you start to lose patience with your family. You're irritable with your children or your spouse. And the stress not only goes after your joy, but everyone else's joy. And over time, self-inflicted sinful busyness rots your soul. And the great danger is that you'll be too busy to notice. So, what would Jesus say to us? What would, how would he speak into our busy lives? Here's the first thing I think Jesus would say, and I think the first thing he would say would surprise us. I think Jesus would empathize with our struggle. Jesus knew what it was to be tired from hecticness. When you read through the Gospels, you notice that Jesus' schedule was hectic. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, when you read through that, one of the repeated and constant time markers in the Gospel is the word immediately. Immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus did that. Immediately they went here and there. His ministry is constantly moving, constantly filled. In John chapter 4, when Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman at the well, we read that he was tired from his journey. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, we read that Jesus and his apostles were so busy that they had no leisure even to eat. Imagine being so busy that you can't even sit down for a meal with friends. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 24, we read that Jesus and his disciples are crossing a sea on a boat, and Jesus is so tired that he fell asleep. So tired that when a massive storm whipped up, it didn't even budge him from his slumber. You'd have to be immensely exhausted to sleep through such a storm like that. You know, some people are deep sleepers. Right? Andrew and Mel. And Mel is uh, in the back room there. If you get a chance, say hello to baby Eleanor. She's gorgeous. It's a, she's a mini Mel. Right? Uh, and Andrew and Mel were telling us, a few of us the other day, that uh, while in the hospital, uh, because Mel had a, a cesarean section, she's kind of in pain, she can't move too much, uh, they had the baby in their private room sleeping with them during the day. And apparently little Eleanor has such a set of lungs on her uh, and was just screaming and crying. And through it all, Andrew was just asleep on the couch. So much so that Mel was yelling at him to wake up and had to throw a pillow at him <laughs> to wake him up. Now, here's a tip for dads, a little side tangent. If, if you're really good at sleeping through baby's cries, here's one tip for you. When you wake up in the morning, never ask your wife if she had a good night's sleep. <laughs> Just don't do it. Okay. Anyway, so I think Jesus would empathize with us. He, he, he's, he's, he would know what it is to be that exhausted. If you've been feeling the franticness of life and the stress of life, then Jesus knows what that is like. 
Remember, Jesus is not immune from the pressures of our normal human existence. He, he knew a busy schedule. He knew the aches and tiredness and the sheer exhaustion of it all. Uh, but even though Jesus knew the tiredness and exhaustion of busyness, his busyness was not frantic. He may have moved quickly and immediately through the Gospels, but he's never hurried. We never see him stressed out. Uh, We never see him checking and double-checking with his disciples and his personal assistants to see what his next meeting or appointment or healing was in his diary. I I love this little part that we read out just just before in Mark chapter 1. Uh, You see, just before that passage, Jesus has been healing people left, right, and center. And his healings went on into the night. We read that people were bringing him, flocking to him, bringing their sick for healing. Uh, Probably late at night, as we read that, not only did he heal them, but he's also casting out heaps of demons. And so come early the next morning, he finds, he he wakes up, he, he goes out by himself to find a quiet place to pray. And you see, even in the midst of his busy schedule, he always found time to be with his father. And then soon enough, Simon finds him and mentions, look, everyone's looking for you. You can almost see Simon's face with that look of, okay, Jesus, let's get back to it. Lots of people need healing. Demons need casting out. And Jesus' response just kind of brushes that off. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. Well, that is why I came out. Jesus was in demand. He was terrifically busy. But only with the things that he was supposed to be doing. He stayed on the mission that God intended for him to come. He came to heal the sick, yes. He came to exercise demons, yes. But his primary mission was to preach the good news. That is why he, I came out. And with that, he remains purposeful in the middle of his busyness. I love this paragraph from Kevin DeYoung in his book. Don't think Jesus can't sympathize with your busyness. You have bills that need to be paid. Jesus had lepers who wanted to be healed. You have kids screaming for you. Jesus had demons calling him by name. You have stress in your life. Jesus taught large crowds all over Judea and Galilee with people constantly trying to touch him, trick him and kill him. He had every reason to be run over by a hundred expectations and a thousand great opportunities. And yet he stayed on mission. I love that. See, Jesus never let people set his agenda. He never let the busyness of all the activity around him set his agenda. God set his agenda and he stuck with it. Jesus understood his mission and that set his priorities. And so like a good doctor trying to understand your symptoms and and build a picture for diagnosis, I think Jesus would gently ask us, are you frantic? Are you anxious? Does your schedule and your life lead you to stress? Have you got your priorities in the same way that I do? It's God's mission setting your agenda uh, or other things Or are there other choices setting your agenda? See, when it comes to setting your agenda right, there's another story in the Bible that shows us what it looks like to get your priorities right. 
Uh, in Luke chapter 10, we have this relatively famous story about Martha, Mary and Martha. It's a story that I think has often been misread, some thinking that Martha is a bad example in her busyness and Mary is the supreme example of a contemplative life. But I think Martha has gotten a bit of a bad rap over the years. You see, she is a wonderfully gifted woman with the gift of hospitality that many of us in our church and in churches that we have experienced, the gift of hospitality. And remember, hospitality isn't just about cooking yummy food. It carries the idea of your home being a hospital, being a place where people can come, where they can be served and they can feel and be refreshed. And I look at Martha and I think she's an expert in this. But saying that, there's a a saying that I've also found to be true. Sometimes your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. Sometimes your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. And in this case, Martha's great gift and strength, her hospitable nature, is also her weakness. You see, it's not that she's busy that's the problem. She's not doing anything wrong in serving. The problem comes in verse 40. Right there, Martha was distracted with much serving. Her good service is pulling her away from something better. The word distracted there has the idea that she was constantly up and down. See, one moment she's sitting with Mary, with Mary, at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus. But then a moment later, she's up and about, and with the next task, her mind... Is constantly distracted. It's constantly being pulled away from listening to Jesus. Other things that needed to be done, pulling her attention away. So her gift of hospitality is great, but her heart and her mind were unhelpfully distracted and pulled away from listening to Jesus. Her service, her good service, is pulling her away from something better. And then she gets a bit upset at Mary, that Mary doesn't seem to be helping. See, in verse 40, her her words aren't a gentle plea, but they actually carry a sense of rebuke. You pause there for a moment. You take that picture in. Jesus is speaking with Mary and and Martha and and perhaps a few other people, and Martha's busyness is pulling away from Jesus, and in her stress, she rebukes Jesus. Now, if I was being rebuked unfairly and harshly, I'd, I'd be tempted to ignore it or just brush it off. But Jesus is not like me, and praise God for that. Instead, his answer shows deep affection and love for her. Remember, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. He, even the Son of God had close friends. And it was this family that he dearly loved. So in response, he, he repeats her name uh, his, his response to repeat a name is, isn't because he's annoyed. It, it's affectionate. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That good portion Jesus is speaking about is him. It's his word. It's a gift, it's, it's a package, it's something that Mary has now received from Jesus and nobody will ever be able to take away from her. It's been stored in the safest safe and treasure box in the whole world. Jesus' word has been stored in her heart. Mary's example isn't to say don't serve. 
Right? We need masters. Food needs to be served. Dishes need to be done. Floors need to be swept and mopped. A reminder to the salt teens we're on cleanup after at morning tea. But the story is a reminder that we need to keep first things first. We need to keep the main things the main things. And what is the main thing? Simple. It's listening to and receiving Jesus' words. It's, it's a good portion that can never be taken away from you. So I don't think this is hard. I don't think it's rocket science. In fact, Jesus is offering rest and renewal if we would just come to him. To, to the busy heart, these final words of Jesus in Matthew 11 are just the soothing words that we need to hear. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In their context here, Jesus is addressing everyone who has been hearing the Pharisees' teachings and all their laws and rules and obligations and so many rules and obligations which were a heavy burden on the shoulders of the hearers. But his offer is of, of coming to him and finding rest is the much-needed message that all us busy people need to hear. He's not inviting us to retire and just do nothing. When he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's inviting us to work. But the idea is that Jesus is going to radically change our lives. He's going to help us reprioritize life so that the burdens of our busyness will not crush us, making us weary and heavy laden. Jesus is not offering a busy, free life. He's offering a life that is free from the burdens of busyness, the stress, the anxiety, the expectations, the heart-racing deadlines. He's promising to help you see and reorganize the sinfully busy parts of our lives. It's not that coming to Jesus means that we crave non-busyness. It means that in the middle of our busyness, we will find rest. There will be moments to breathe. Moments to listen to Jesus and to be refreshed by his word, refreshed by his spirit, and be refreshed with his people. But we need to come to him. First, we need to put all our trust in him, in his death and resurrection for us. We, we need to trust that Jesus has forgiven us and given us a new reconciled relationship with God. Second, we come to him to find and receive rest. Now, this rest is partly the eternal rest that we will enjoy with him forever. And it's also the rest we experience now, rest from our worries, rest from our stresses, rest from the busyness that we have made for ourselves. Jesus is offering us grace. He is offering us rest-filled, rest-fueled grace. And so we circle back to his own example of setting priorities and keeping God's mission central to his life. If we come to Jesus for rest, taking up his yoke, we are taking up his call to deny ourselves and shape our lives around his mission. I want to highlight again what Pastor Ben has helpfully quoted in the pastor's desk. Right? We want to believe Jesus first. We need to begin there, putting our trust in him. But what does that mean? A couple of things. It will mean setting priorities. Busyness 
threatens to overwhelm us with a million different tasks. But when we set priorities, we are saying to ourselves and to our world that we cannot do it all. Not only can we not, but we're not even going to try. Not even Jesus chose to do it all. And he could have. In Jesus' ministry, we see people lining up for healings. We see big crowds following him around and wanting to hear his words. He lived with these unrelenting demands on his time and energy. And he could have, as the Son of God, he could have fulfilled those demands, only he didn't. See, even in the busyness of his life, he chose to get away to pray. He had to stop to eat. He slept. He had to say no. And if Jesus chose not to do everything, what makes us think that we can do everything? If I find myself busy, sinfully busy, then I do need to sit down and work out what I need to prioritize in life. It might be worth asking a close brother or sister to keep you accountable to it. But most of all, we will need to have the gospel ringing in our ears to remind us again and again that we are not Jesus and we cannot accomplish everything on our plates and that it's good to prioritize God's kingdom first above other things. And as we set priorities, because we, we set priorities because it helps us to serve other people better. And sometimes that might mean that we have to let go of some activities because it means that we will be more faithful in other areas. Basically, you need to know what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. And you want to be clear on this so you can be better serving others more effectively. As an example, as a pastor, there are many things that could fill my week. There's an old joke. Uh, that only older people seem to tell me. But every now and then I hear this joke from older generations, and it goes like this. A pastor's job is so easy because you only really have to work one and a half hours each week at church. And to be honest, it's not that funny. And it can sometimes be hurtful. Because if there's anyone whose life could be busy 24-7, it's the life of a pastor. In fact, I can be so busy with so many things and say yes to so many good things because I'm freed up to having, from having to do other work to support my family financially. But if I do that, then my preaching would suffer. And to be honest, that's how I have personally felt this first half of the year. I've looked at my plate. It is not a plate. It looks like a buffet table. And I've realized that I have been doing too many things, the good things, but my preaching has suffered because of the lack of time that I have to prepare. Setting new priorities for the second half of the year for me will hopefully mean that I get to be more faithful and more effective and more loving to everyone here. See, if I attend every meeting, if I go and meet up with every single person who wants to chat and catch up for a few minutes during the week. I might help a few people, but I won't faithfully be serving everyone here on Sunday mornings. We have to take Jesus as our example. Even Jesus didn't do everything. Though he certainly was one who could have. But he majored on the mission that God had given him. And in this way, he, was, he effectively served us all in the unique way that only he could. <clears throat> the final thing we, we need to do as we finish up is that we need to have regular patterns of rest. I'm amazed at how chock full some of our schedules are. 
And what I've noticed is that this pattern of busyness is actually set in early adolescence. As teens, we're often encouraged to be studying all the time, and while our parents may say it's important to rest, not many of us are actually shown or actually have rest scheduled into our weeks. Now, this means two things. First, we need a regular pattern of rest in our week. You can't expect to be running on all cylinders all the time and expect good work to be done. Eventually, you'll hit a wall. Regularly rest in the week where you put your feet up, play with the kids, do things that relax you, and get into a rhythm of it. Second, we need to get more sleep. Now, this is much easier said than done, especially if you have young children. Uh, And this is not to heap any guilt or burden on those who are already suffering insomnia. But in general, and I know this is true of myself, we could do all do with more sleep. More sleep could do wonders. Constant sleep deprivation, constant tiredness from lack of sleep and lack of rhythm in sleep might actually be a godliness issue. Don Carson puts it well when he says, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not only will you be better for it physically, but the act of going to sleep regularly and for good amounts of time reminds us that we are not in control of our lives. Especially if you're busy. Sleep is the most profound metaphor that you must maintain. Think about it. When you're lying in bed and your eyes are closed and your mind and your body shut down, you are resting your entire self, your body, your mind, your spirit on your mattress. I can think of few other metaphors that best describe what it means to trust God's sovereignty and control. When I sleep... I am preaching the most important sermon to myself every day. I'm not the one in control. My constant busyness is not what makes life tick over. When I lie here, absolutely helpless and motionless, God remains in motion. God remains in control. And God upholds not only me, but also everything else in life. And when Jesus says, come to me and find rest... That's what I need. I need to be able to rest well in the week. I need to be able to sleep more regularly. I need to be able to keep trusting Jesus because he is the one who is in control. He is my model, my example, the one who upholds me. We're all busy. Or we all will be. But let's not forget our Savior who gives us the rest in the midst of all of it. Let me pray. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that your son came and he knows what it was to be busy. He knows what it was, life was like, lived constantly, uh, going from one thing to the next. But thank you that we see in his example a purposefulness. He kept, his mission, he kept your mission. He, kept, he, main, he maintained that as his priority. Thank you that that gives us an example for us to follow. It gives us a challenge as well to reset our priorities, to keep your mission first to keep looking at our lives and recognizing whether or not we've placed our own desires, our own busyness ahead of your kingdom. We pray, Father, then, that you would help us to come to Jesus again. Thank you that he has open arms ready always to invite us in and to give us the rest that we so long for. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to come to Jesus, trust him, to keep living life in a way that shows and demonstrates
that we are resting in Jesus for all that, all, for our joy and, and for your glory. And so we pray these things in the beautiful name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.